again, we're so glad that you're with us. We are starting a new series tonight uh, on 1 John, and it's a series that we're titling Love One Another. One of the main topics of discussion in the church the past 20 years or so has been relevance. A lot of conversations about how the church can be more relevant to people. And uh, in the year 2000, there was the emergence of a new magazine called Relevant. And then, of course, a podcast followed. And uh, the whole idea behind Relevant is to connect the church with 20, 30-somethings. And I think they've done a really great job of that. The other uh, side of it is that when all this discussion about how the church can be more relevant, sometimes their uh, conversations and decisions were made that were almost like superficial. It's like, well, we'll go casual dress. We'll, uh, we'll wear skinny jeans. The skinnier, the better. We will uh, have like a, a red hot band. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? These things are not... Uh, I'm just making an observation. We love our band and we think they're awesome. Also, like, let's have just this, uh, this really slick, hip uh, social media presence and all of these things that can be sometimes just like, you know, superficial. And we are all about relevance here at Anchor. And as we look at uh, how a church can be relevant, we want to definitely speak to the culture of today. But I think the most important thing is that we are offering substance in our teachings, and we are looking for ways to equip people to navigate their way through this life with relevant, uh, timely teaching, encouraging teaching. And so that really brings us to 1 John and the the study here, because uh, there's never been, I think, a more relevant teaching for today than we see in this letter, 1 John. And so we're so excited about bringing that to you in this series. It was written in the first century, the latter part of the first century, but again, sometimes we look back to find out what can help us moving forward in our present day. Now, I just would like to give an overview of 1 John. Typically, when we start a new book study, what we like to do is just to give an overview of that book. And so we're going to take just a few moments to look at 1 John and to kind of just introduce it to you. Now, uh, if you were with us a few weeks ago uh, in our Conversations with Jesus series, we looked at a conversation that Jesus had on the cross with his mother Mary and a dear friend by the name of John. And in that conversation, uh, Jesus really assigned the care of his mother to, uh, to John. And this is the same man named John that wrote the Gospel of John and also three letters called 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John that we see in the New Testament. And for the next eight weeks or so, we're going to be really taking a deep dive into this first letter. Now, to know John is to know that he's both an evangelist and a pastor. He's an evangelist because he goes around sharing good news of Jesus Christ, the life that's in Jesus with, with many people, but also it's very clear that he's a pastor at heart. Uh, the care that he has for those that, that he serves as uh, a spiritual leader is just very obvious. A pastor at heart, caring for the people under his care. And we're going to see his pastoral ministry shine as we look at this study in 1 John. Now, his original audience included Jewish Christians who believed world history was divided into two ages 
two periods of time, the present and the future. And the present age, again, this is what Jewish Christians believed in this time, the present age was full of misery and suffering, injustice and suppression. And then the future age would be the time that, that God would put everything right and he would rescue those that are suffering. And in this letter, John will say, basically the future age has come in Jesus Christ. That Jesus came to start making everything right again. That his kingdom came and his kingdom as it came, it rescued people from suffering, spiritual suffering, and, and uh, there was healings. And so this, this really is a demarcation from the present age to the future age and Jesus coming. So we need not wait any longer that, that Christ has come. And there's hope in this future age that is here now in Jesus. Now that's a macro view of the two-age worldview of John's audience, but uh, there's also a micro problem that uh, is really the backdrop for, uh, for this letter. And the problem has to do with something called Gnosticism. Gnosticism. You may have heard of it. Gnosticism is a kind of religion that specializes in secret knowledge. And Gnostics believe that you, if you gain secret knowledge, you could be transported from a physical world to uh, just a purely spirit experience and existence. Among the things that Gnosticism taught was that Jesus wasn't really human. They denied what we call the incarnation. And during the Advent season, we, uh, we look at the incarnation, which is a word that simply means God became flesh and he dwelled among us or dwelt among us. And so uh, God becoming flesh is really, and his humanity, Jesus' humanity is really very, very important. And I'll tell you why. If he didn't die, then the penalty of sin had not been paid. Not only that, but reconciliation with God the Father would not be possible if Jesus had not died on the cross. And at the same time, the expression of, of God's great love wasn't real. It didn't happen. If there's no active love on the cross, then what's the expression, the, the, the majestic expression of God's love for, uh, for us and for the world? And if he didn't die, there's no reason to, uh, to have you know, the resurrection. You know, there's something called cancel culture today, right? And well, we would cancel the resurrection because if he didn't die, there's no need for him to come back to life. So this was very important and this, was, this teaching was starting to infiltrate the church. They were starting to believe this. Well, Jesus wasn't really human. And so they were questioning everything about Jesus and their life in Jesus, their relationship with Jesus. It's the substance that makes the cross and the empty tomb relevant. There's that word again. So John, being the good pastor that he is, is going to face this teaching head on, and he does this as his letter begins in 1 John chapter one in a very, um, almost an obscure way. He doesn't name the false teaching, but you'll see in just a moment that he's dealing with this really 
in a way that's very clear that he is establishing the humanity of Jesus. The first John is described by one theologian as, quote, a masterpiece in the art of edification. And what is edification? Well, that's a word that we use in the church quite a bit. It has to do with building people up, encouraging them, strengthening them. We all know that uh, coming out of the past 15 months or so, we all need strengthened. We all need encouraged. We all need to uh, be built up. And that, this is really the purpose of this letter, is to build up the church amidst everything else that's going on in the world in that time. And so again, it really pertains to what's going on in our world today. Because our desire as a church is to strengthen you, to, uh, to equip you, to encourage you. It's really important that we have this uh, ministry of encouraging and equipping and giving knowledge so we're not swayed by the current thoughts in our time and, and our faith doesn't drift depending on what the, the flavor of the month is, so to speak, when it comes to a new theology or a new teaching, a new philosophy. What is needed as much today as any time in our history is orthodoxy, which is really an, another churchy word for just a solid foundation, a solid foundation of faith that will fill us with with assurance, with knowledge, with confidence, with boldness. So with this overview, let's dive into our study of 1 John. We are going to read out of the NIV 11, 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Hear the word of the Lord. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. The word of the Lord. You'll talk about being a pastor at heart. You know, we see this coming through so much in these opening statements here. There's three observations from this pastor's heart. We call him Pastor John tonight. That really is very clear. The first has to do with what I would call a pastor's concern. A pastor's concern. Faced with a false teaching that denied the humanity of Jesus, John begins his letter by testifying of Christ's humanity. And he testifies this as an eyewitness. What John says is from the beginning of his time and their time with Jesus, John and others heard him, they listened to him speak, they saw him, they gazed upon him, they studied him, and they actually touched him. They could vouch for his humanity because they were there with him. Let me just go back to our text and just say these words so you can see how much he's, 
he's just emphasizing this. We have heard, we have seen with our eyes, we've looked at, our hands have touched. We've seen it, we testify to it. We proclaim what we've seen and heard. And so again, he's repeating this really in these four verses. He's just really driving home the point that, hey, you can count on Jesus' humanity. He's in the flesh. We're eyewitness. In the recent trial of the accused and George Floyd's murder, eyewitness after eyewitness after eyewitness came and testified. And these eyewitnesses testified of what they had heard, what they had seen, what they had studied, what they gazed upon. And the evidence was irrefutable. It was conclusive. In a similar way, John is saying this testimony is conclusive. There's no reason to doubt that Jesus was human. Again, just to reiterate, Christ's humanity is vital as we endeavor to comprehend the love and the power of God. So believing in the humanity of Jesus is crucial to our faith, to one's faith. Now John proceeds to describe the central figure and feature of Jesus' humanity by using the Greek word zoe. Now you may uh, have met someone that their name is Zoe. And uh, that name means life. In the, in the original Greek, the pronunciation is actually zoe. So next time you see that person, you can say, hey, I, I think uh, you've been mispronouncing your name all these years. It's actually zoe. He uses this word, which means life, in two contexts. First, in identifying Jesus in the gospel. Word of life is what he refers to. Word of zoe. And second, identifying what is offered to those who believe, and that is eternal zoe, eternal life. I like that word life. It just, is, uh, it just really represents meaning and substance and vitality and freshness and renewal. It's just a great word, great concept. And this is what Jesus came to bring, is life represented here in his, the description word of life, and then giving eternal life. God in the flesh, embodied life, and one life eternal. Well, you may, you may say, hey, Randall, that's great. You know, eternal Zoe, that's great, eternal life, and Jesus is life, but what about, like, my life until I get to eternal life? What about that? Like, what about tomorrow? What about next month? What about that well Jesus addresses that in another writing of John this is the gospel of John in chapter 10 verse 10 the words of Jesus the purpose he came he said I have come that they may have life and life to the full it's also known as abundant life if you wonder if Jesus addressed our everyday life here in this life that we live until we get to eternal life, the purpose of a relationship with Jesus 
One of the purposes is that, and the realities is that we have life to the full, to the max, when we walk with Jesus. What does that mean, that we would never have a problem? No, it doesn't mean that. But it means like for every situation, you will have Christ with you. You will have uh, a, the spirit of Christ to help you, to bring peace, to bring counsel, uh, to bring joy, uh, to bring direction, to, to address every part of our life existence. And that we can soar above the fray, so to speak, like an eagle with Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior. He came so that we may have life and have it to the full. He gives life, he makes life meaningful, purposeful, and then he extends life to the forever. This is why Jesus came. And that is really the concern of the proclamation of the message of this pastor called John is that they would be conveying that, this, this life, present and future. And then John continues to share the reason he shares such a message, and we'll call this a pastor's purpose. A pastor's purpose. The purpose of proclaiming the word of life and eternal life, John says, is so that you may also have fellowship with us, And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Verse three. The key word here in the Greek is koinonia, which means participation, fellowship. You're gonna hear that word koinonia quite a bit in the next five minutes or so. What do you hear, or what do you think of when you hear the word fellowship? Now some of you may associate with academia. There are fellowships in the academic world. Some may think of the Fellowship of the Ring from the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Fellowship is also a word that has been used and misunderstood in the church community. Fellowship has been used like a word for an event where there's food and pleasant yet random conversation. That's not really what John is talking about it all when he's talking about fellowship. Koinonia, according to John, is a community made up of those who have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ and participate in the commitment to a common task, the proclamation of the word of life. Koinonia is community, it's intentional, It's purposeful. It's about belonging. Belonging to and actively participating in a Christ community. And John brings clarity as to the purpose of the gospel message. And this might surprise you, this statement. The purpose of the gospel message is not salvation, but fellowship. Now stay with me here. Fellowship, again, participation in the missional Christ community. Salvation is so important for our individual uh, status and relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But in terms of the big picture, and in terms of eternity, and even life here presently, salvation is kind of like the golden ticket of access that gets you into this beautiful thing called koinonia, called fellowship, 
called community. For our personal witness and evangelism in the church, we do well to be mindful of this. You see, the end game is not about just making converts and having people check a check on a, on a connection card, a box that says I'm making a decision to follow Christ or I'm recommitting my life to Jesus. Even though that's very important, again, that is not what we should just rest on our laurels and say, oh, we, we have three people that checked the box. What a great week of ministry. No, no. We should not be content with making converts. The aim should be folding people into community life to join the, the fellowship of believers in Jesus Christ to have them act, actively participating in community, to enjoy spiritual fellowship, encouragement, edification, equipping, fellowship with other believers, but also fellowship with the Father and the Son, as John said. This was true in the first century church and is still true today. And John concludes the opening verses with a confession at the latter part of verse four. He confesses that this process, seeing people come to faith and participating in the Christ community is what brings them complete joy. His exact words are this, we write this to make our joy complete. This thing called koinonia, that's where the joy is found and that is really, speaking of end game, that's the end game for a pastor, for Pastor John, for your pastors, for your spiritual leaders. Which leads us to our third and our final point, the pastor's outcome. On the surface, this statement that John makes may seem a little self-serving, like all of this is just so the pastors can be joyful. But if that's the way we look at it, then we're really missing the heart of the pastor. Like John, nothing brings your pastor's joy like knowing that you and others are following Christ in community. That's the best. It's just the best. Are we happy when we reach or exceed a goal of missions giving? Yes. Are we delighted when someone makes the decision to follow Christ? Absolutely. Are we grateful when a new volunteer joins our team? Of course we are. Are we happy when someone is baptized? Yes, absolutely we are. But there's an incomparable joy when followers of Jesus embrace belonging to and actively participating in community. For some years we've had the phrase doing life together that we kind of, that we've talked about quite a bit and that's really the essence of that that we're all like joining arms and we're walking as a, as a humble army before the Lord into, into the future. And we're there for each other. We have each other's backs. We're praying for each other. We're encouraging each other. We have the spiritual pulse of our, those in community dialed in. We know them and we are known. So important. Conversely, there's no sorrow like the sadness we feel when someone leaves Koinonia. 
When someone that we've walked really closely with is no longer participating in Christian fellowship and community, I can tell you firsthand that's a grieving emotion, a great sorrow when someone leaves, no longer participating in koinonia. I want to speak to all of you, especially those that are members of our anchor community. Such highs and lows should not be exclusive to your pastors. Nor should responsibility and care for members of the fellowship be limited to pastors. I came up with this statement that represents what I really want to convey in this moment, and it's this. The deep emotions, joy and sadness, and responsibility of care must be a shared experience with everyone in community, from leaders to congregants. For Anchor to be an authentic New Testament community, the purpose of our message and the mutual joy we share must be centered on people participating in fellowship, in community, in koinonia. I didn't mention this up front, but the title of tonight's teaching as we're starting this Love One Another series is so, the, the title of this teaching is simply, What Are Your Pastors Up To? One of the, the search, searches that I did on a search engine, like the number one question about pastors was, what do they do Monday through Friday? And of course, very few churches meet on Thursday night, but uh, that's a question, what do you do during the week? And uh, I'd like to address what your pastors are up to. First of all, crafting messages of how Jesus can bring life to the full for people today. I can speak for not only Pastor Ryan, myself, but Rob when he teaches here and others that will set foot behind this little podium and, and teach there's a lot that goes into crafting these messages because we want to present messages that are life-giving, that are encouraging, that will, will be that which will help you as you are living out your life. So crafting life-giving messages, that's one of the things that we're up to. And we do this not only on Thursday night, but if there's, there's different expressions of this throughout the week, personal communication, various group settings, etc. Life-giving, encouraging messages of hope. That's what we're about. Also, encouraging every Christ follower in our fellowship to share life with their friends and their co-workers with the purpose of folding them into community. We want to somehow, with God helping us, motivate all of you, all of us together, to be reaching out and touching lives and to encouraging people to, to be folded into this beautiful fellowship called Anchor Boston. That's what we're up to, but how about you? This gets personal now. What are you up to? I've got three questions for you. First of all, are you actively participating in Koinonia? Are you actively participating 
in fellowship. Let me get really practical. This should compel you to get vaccinated and come on out on Thursdays and be involved in community worship. To be active in a crew, which many, many of you are. In fact, I would say the percent of our uh, members of our congregation that are involved in crew is amazing. But there's room for more. Perhaps part of being in Koinonia, actively participating is to serve. And we, as we look to really reopen fully later in this year, and we're looking at a grand reopening, we talked about that in our members meeting last week. As we look at August into September, we're gonna need more volunteers. If we reopen next week, we wouldn't have enough volunteers to even host people. And that's okay, we're not there yet, but we will be there. And that is one way that you can actively be involved in Koinonia. The second question, you're like, the first was enough. Like, <laughs> ease up, fella, right? The second question, are you emotionally involved in Koinonia? Are you joyful when we welcome someone into our community? Does your heart sing when you see someone come in and, and you welcome them and we welcome them and they walk with us, they journey with us? Does that bring you joy? Or are you apathetic about that? Are you sad when someone falls away? from community and maybe ultimately falls away from their faith? Do you grieve? And I'll be honest, we don't expect you to grieve like your pastors, but we, what I'm suggesting is there should be this emotional engagement that you have with your community. That we celebrate the highs together and, and we, the joyful moments. And again, this is about people coming in community, but then we, we also are sad when we say goodbye. Are you emotionally involved? Let me add this, a consumer will not be emotionally involved. A consumer will just find things to criticize and reasons to pull back and withdraw. But one who belongs, one who says, no, this is my church, I'm emotionally invested here, it will make all the difference. Because we know it's the Lord's church, but there is a part of you that, no, this is my church and I care. And I don't care about the building, I care about the people. As we know, just as the word fellowship has been misunderstood through the years, the, the word church has been very much misunderstood. Church, you see, is not a place you go to. Church is this koinonia fellowship that we exist in, in harmony. The third question I would ask of you is this, and this is the last question. You're like, thank the Lord, this is the last question. Are you connecting people to Koinonia? Are you praying for people in your circle of influence? Are you talking to them? Are you inviting them? Are you bringing them? I believe this with all my heart. You may be the only bridge that a person in your circle of influence will have to relationship with Jesus Christ. And we don't talk about eternity probably enough, 
but your relationship with a person could be the bridge that makes a difference in their eternal destination. Connecting people to koinonia, to fellowship. For us to fulfill 1 John 1, 1 through 4, we must pray, think, and speak koinonia-driven prayers, thoughts, and words. Community must be in our heart, must be what we think about, what we pray about. And I realize that you have a lot on your plate, whether it's school or you're in your career, you have a lot going on. But where does the Christ community fit in the busyness of our lives? And finally, to be clear, the end game here is it's not about numbers. It's not about how we can, you know, increase our attendance and, and you know, have a chart and, and talk about things like that. The end game is complete joy that comes from sharing life in Jesus with others and walking the journey together. That's where the real joy comes from. I have been a part of ministries that there was a lot of talk about numbers and very little talk about how are the people doing? Are they growing? Are they being discipled? Are we bearing one another's burdens? Um, yeah, I would love for Anchor to grow, but healthy things grow. And I think as we get this right, as we live out this participating in, emotionally involved in, um, connecting people to, as we do these things in, in an effort to be fully involved and in, in immersed in community, then it will be a healthier ministry, healthier church, and it will grow. But that's not, again, the complete joy is the end game. It's not about numbers. And so as we bring this to a conclusion, as the band comes and Shelley prepares to lead us in a time of reflection and prayer, I've given you some hard questions, and uh, I think there'll be questions that I'm going to take to the Lord in prayer because I want to do my part as your lead pastor. But I'd like for us to pray, and as we do, I'd like just for us to pray that the Holy Spirit would seal in our spirits, in our minds, how we, how I as an individual, how you as an individual can move forward taking this amazing start to 1 John and living it out. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you so thankful for setting out of the gate in this series the priority of, of people, the priority of fellowship, the priority, Lord God, of, of setting things in the order of priority that they should be. And Lord, I pray in my spirit, in my heart, that Lord, uh, you would calibrate it so that I, these things that are important to John would be super important to me and that Lord, I would lead by serving in these ways. And so we do pray, Holy Spirit, that you would seal on the hearts and the minds of, of our dear brothers and sisters in this koinonia, this participation fellowship, 
that, Lord God, we would uh, have those deeply impressed upon our spirit and that we would act upon them, that we would not let go of this, but, Lord, that we would interact and that we would follow up and we would take action and move forward. And, Lord, we know this one by one by one, two by two by two, as we do this, something amazing is going to happen in the center of Boston. And we'll see more and more lives transformed by the power of your love. So Jesus, thank you that you came in the flesh. Thank you that you died and you rose again. And all that that means to us. And we embrace the fact that you are fully divine and fully human. And we worship you and draw near to you. So do as you will in our hearts, spirit of the living God, we pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you.